Well, hey everybody, welcome. It's so great to be back together again and gathering together wherever you're watching from and listening from to all of our podcast listeners as well. It's just so great to be back together in this series called Faith for Exiles. And we've been going through this book and wrestling through the scriptures and what it means to follow Jesus in our time. And we're right in the midst of looking at five different principles from the research that Barna has done in what makes resilient disciples. And so if you have a Bible and you want to join in with me, we're going to continue this discussion. And if you want to open it up, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, if you want to turn there with me. Now, as somebody who grew up in the church uh, from very little, from very young, I always kind of joke that I was born and though three days later I did not raise from the dead, I have been on the front pew pretty much since that time. And I've always been fascinated with this guy named the Apostle Paul. If you know, Paul was one of the most brilliant Jewish academics of his time. He served in the Sanhedrin, studied under this guy named Gamaliel, who was one of the most brilliant rabbis to ever walk the face of the earth. Not only that, Paul was like this triple threat. He was a Roman citizen. He was also a Hebrew, so he spoke Hebrew and grew up in the Jewish line. And he spoke Koine Greek, which was like the street language of the day. He was very much able to speak uh, the language of the common people. And yet, with all of his academic and Jewish credentials, it's so interesting to me how discerning Paul became when he began to follow Jesus. You know, a lot of people, because of his writings, view Paul as kind of strong and brash and someone who says it like it is. I've even talked to people who have taken courses at Western here in town, uh, and in particular at Brescia, and a lot of people come around Paul as anti-woman among a number of other things. And I've even heard people say, kind of as this badge of honor when it comes to Paul, that we need to be just like Paul. We need to go around and we need to unapologetically tell people the gospel. We need to preach it like it is. But I've actually kind of looked at Paul in a deeper way. And when you look at Paul's missionary journeys in particular throughout the book of Acts, Paul was incredibly discerning of his surroundings. And because of his credentials and his understanding, he was incredibly discerning of the culture he was taking the gospel to. And I want to show you one example before we jump in, okay? Before we kind of jump into some of the content of the book. This is really helpful just to show you that Paul was this discerning guy. He discerned the cultures in which he took the gospel to. So I want to take a minute. You've flipped on your Bible or you've opened it up to Acts chapter 17. I want to look at how Paul rolled in this really significant city called Athens. So let's read it together. It's a bit of text, but I want to read the story to you so we kind of get it into us. Okay, it says this, verse 16. Acts 17, 16, it says, When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with Paul. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting place of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? 
You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenian and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription on it, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, as image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Now, this is such an interesting story because Athens was a very unique place, if you know the history of Athens. It was the heart of philosophy. You heard here in the text that there was this thing called the Areopagus, this meeting place on a hill northwest of the Acropolis in its time. And really, Athens was marked by two things, sophistication and intellect. If you know anything about Greek philosophy, this is what the city of Athens was all about. And it's interesting that Paul goes into the city on this missionary journey and he philosophizes. I don't even know if that's a word, but he begins to speak their language But it's interesting how he does it. He speaks the language of the Athenians, but he does it in light of God's work in the world. One historian says it like this, theologian. They said, rooted in Old Testament ideas, it appealed to the Greek philosophers by interacting with their thought, even quoting their own writers in a well-informed, respectful way. Its main subject was the error of their idolatry. And so here's what Paul does. He goes in, begins to talk with them. He starts with creation. He doesn't say the name of Jesus, which is basically another sermon for another time. It's just interesting that he would go in and it says he brings the gospel. We have no record of the name of Jesus here being proclaimed and we weren't there. This is what we have in the scriptures, but it's just interesting that he went in very nuanced. And there's a couple things here that Paul says that really stands out as he speaks to this 
group here in Athens. First, he says this, in him we live and move and have our being. Now, I don't know if you're like me, you're a conservative Christian kid, you grew up in the church, but this was, if you remember, this was actually a song that a ton of churches sang back in the 80s and 90s. In him we live and move and have our being. Now, obviously, we were singing it to Jesus and to God, but what's interesting is that back in the day, in its original context, in him we live and move and have our being was actually a hymn that was sung and performed to the god Zeus. It was created for Zeus to think that in the 80s and 90s, all of us, including our parents, were singing songs that were originally, the lyrics of them were originally to Zeus. It's crazy what Paul does here. Paul takes these lyrics that was written for Zeus and he flips them on its head and he begins to speak the language of the culture and talk to this community, but he does it in light of Yahweh. He also says, not just, he doesn't just say, in him we live and move and have our being. He also says this poignant little line, for we are his offspring. This was actually a poem in Greek culture by the Stoic poet Aratus. And obviously this was meant to be kind of said to the gods or it was a poem that was created around the pantheon. But now Paul is using this line and he's saying, no, in him, in Yahweh, in the God of the universe, in creator God, in him we live and have and move and have our being. So it's interesting how the Holy Spirit uses Paul in Athens and he actually empowers Paul to meet the people where they are, but he encourages Paul and uses Paul to meet the people where they are with a better story. The Athenians thought, you know, our poets, this is what they say. Paul's like, no, 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 I have a better story. In in Athens, kind of this narrative was we worship anything. There was even, if you remember from the text here, there was an altar to an unknown God. That's how much of the pantheon they worshiped. And Paul comes along and says, no, no, no. In Jesus, the creator of the universe, he is the source of everything. And in him, we live. And I just, that's one example of how Paul lived out the reality of being in the world, but not of it. Paul was in the world, speaking their language, but he came with a much better story. Paul was in the world, but not of it. And it's just interesting as I think about our moment and our time today, because the thing that I've observed over my life is that the thing Christians struggle with the most is cultural discernment. We're good at a lot of things. We're good at putting on church and doing things. We're even, at times, good at serving our neighbors and serving our city. But a lot of times, the thing that I have observed just from a distance is that Christians often struggle with cultural discernment. In North America, we've been influenced by the culture wars of the last 30 to 40 years, the moral majority that emerged in the 80s, lobbying for morality, which then led to purity culture in the church in the 80s and 90s, which many of you have probably been shaped by, which has left, honestly, at the end, it's pretty much left a lot of people really empty throughout these years. You know, I just read an article just this past week, okay? So like this is 2020, remember, it's 2020. And this article was lobbying, and this is obviously a Christian article, that the way Christians are going to win the culture war in our time is by having more kids than everybody else. This was the thesis and argument of this particular article. And I just, as I was reading, I thought, really? I mean, you know, I've done my part. I have four little kids and I love them. And uh, but I weren't, wasn't having these children thinking, you know what we really need to do as Christians? We really need to uh, win the cultural war, so I'm going to have four kids. That's just, 
that it seems counterintuitive and I'm just, I know deep down, this is not how we make resilient disciples. We need, like Paul, to learn how to live as exiles and how to discern the culture around us. This is ultimately what today is about. We need to learn how to do this. We need to learn how to live faithfully in digital Babylon. And ultimately, that is going to take developing our muscles of cultural discernment. And from my experience, churches don't talk a lot about this. We talk about prayer and worship and all of these things that we need to develop, these patterns and rhythms in our lives. And these are things that are very important. But a very few people talk about growing in cultural discernment. So a lot of Christians over the last number of years have taken two options. They retreat from culture and try to develop and grow as a Jesus follower. And a lot of people completely cut themselves off from culture. Or the other side, and this would probably be more the danger in our moment, especially as a young church, people completely immerse themselves in the culture where King Jesus is not even on the radar. And somehow we have to learn how to live nuanced. We need to live kind of like Israel was called to live as we began the series. Back in Jeremiah 29, we saw that Israel was taken outside the city of Babylon onto the Kabar Canal just outside the city. And they really had a couple options. Babylon wanted them to come in and to lose their spiritual identity and their cult cultural identity, to lose everything that was built in them as the Jewish people. They wanted to come in and brainwash them. This is what they tried to do with Daniel and his friends. Israel, some of the false prophets of Israel, wanted the people to stay on the Kabar Canal and stay outside of Babylon and settle there so that they wouldn't be polluted and brainwashed so that they could keep their spiritual identity. And yet God calls them to move in and yet still keep their identity as Jesus followers. It takes, or as God followers in that moment, and for us as Jesus followers, it takes nuance. How can we be a people that embed ourselves in the culture and live faithfully in the culture, yet live faithfully to King Jesus as we do this? The authors say this. They say, in order to live well and wisely in the complexity of digital Babylon and thereby diffuse anxiety, because anxiety is all around us, we must build our muscles of cultural discernment, the ability to compare the beliefs, values, customs, and creations of the world we live in, digital Babylon, to those of the world we belong to. Could we be this kind of people where we could think deeply and compare the beliefs and values and customs and creations of di digital Babylon all around us, but also put this in comparison to the world that we belong to, which is the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the kingdom. Well, there's two major things from the chapter that we engaged in in this principle that are really, that the standout are the most important things. And I think one of them is, is that we need wisdom. We need wisdom in this moment in time, how to follow Jesus in this nuance. We're going to throw up a, a chart here, a table from this week's chapter. It's, I think, really important to understand some of the research that's going around with the four particular groups of prodigals, nomads, habitual churchgoers, and resilient disciples. One of the things the researchers did is they asked people to respond if they regularly experience these things within their church community or faith community and how applicable these things are. So there were questions like, I experience wisdom for how to live faithfully in a secular world. Prodigals experienced this at 14%, but resilient disciples experienced in their church communities this at 70%. Or I experience wisdom for living with people who believe differently from me. 
It's interesting that prodigals only experience this, 20% of prodigals experience this, and 17% of nomads, those who believe but don't belong, they experience this, but well over 50% of people who are resilient disciples experienced a community or a faith community that just really thought through about walking with people who believe differently. Or what about this, experiencing help with living wisely when it comes to technology? It's interesting that a lot of churches and faith communities don't talk about this, but it's also interesting that prodigals, those who have walked away uh, from the faith, only 8% of them experienced a community or a faith community that talked about living wisely when it comes to our devices and technology, yet with resilient disciples, and it's still a pretty low number, 50% of people that are resilient disciples had engaged in some form of shaping around technology. Even things like tools and managing money wisely. Only 12% of prodigals experience a community like that, where upwards of 43% of resilient disciples experience this. And 43%, by the way, is way too small of a number here, even for resilient disciples. But the point is this. Healthy church communities, they create resilient disciples And these kinds of experiences should be creating experiences of wisdom in our life. You know, last week we talked about the foundational question, who am I? We talked about identity and building intimacy with Jesus. But another foundational quest for every human is to determine how should I live? You know, how do I make sense of life? These are very important questions, and I think church communities have an important role to shape these things. Questions like, how do I respond well to life's circumstances? It's important that our experiences, if we want to create resilient disciples, that these experiences build wisdom. And then the question becomes, and the chapter develops this, well, where do we get wisdom? Where do we get this kind of wisdom to live faithfully in our moment? And ultimately, the answer to that is the scriptures, is the Bible. We're going to throw up another table. We're just filled with tables today. It's great. You know, one of the things the researchers did is they ask, what builds resilient disciples? And one of the things that was abundantly clear is that resilient disciples, they get and gain this kind of wisdom from anchoring their lives in the Bible. So a number of questions were asked. And People that were aged 18 to 29 were asked to respond how strongly they agree. Things like this, the Bible is the inspired word of God and contains truth about the world. 8% of prodigals believed and felt strongly about the statement, but 100% of resilient disciples that were asked this responded this way. Or things like, reading the Bible makes me feel closer to God. 10% of prodigals responded with, they strongly agree, while 87% of raising disciples. We could go on. At church, I get wisdom from how the Bible applies to my life. Only 15% had experienced that, but upwards of 86% of resilient disciples, this is their kind of experience with the Bible. What about this? The Bible is the foundation of all teaching at my church. It's interesting the different experiences that people had because a lot of prodigals, only 17% said that this was actually foundational, that the Bible was foundational. But 85% of resilient disciples said, listen, the, the Bible is a foundational piece in the teaching and leading of our, our church. 83%, sorry, of them uh, responded this way. And it shows that an anchoring in the scriptures that leads us to wisdom is a significant part in the life of somebody who is a resilient disciple of Jesus. 
Again, the authors say this, to instill and transmit cultural discernment in digital Babylon, faith communities and households must become robust learning communities. And that's what we hope to be. That's what we've always hoped to be, is a learning community. One of the core things at Praxis is spiritual formation. We know that there's a world, and in the light of the language that this book gives, digital Babylon is trying to form us at our core. And one of the things we've been saying is we need to be a community that counterforms people into the way of Jesus. So here's a great example. Our habits matter. In their research, the authors note that resilient disciples digest nearly double the hours of Christian content annually. So you can see here for prodigals that about 99 hours a year is digested in Jesus-centered content over the year compared to 562 hours a year for resilient disciples. There's just the dichotomy here that engaging in things like the scriptures and community and podcasts and further learning and being in a learning community and growing in the scriptures is one of the central things in the life of a resilient disciple and it's one of the formative things that forms and shapes their lives. So one of the things we've got to just catch here is that wisdom comes from the scriptures and it takes initiative on our end to grow and consume the word of God and to grow in it. You know, another table we're going to throw up here is just around the reality of understanding the story of God. The authors talk in this chapter that the gospel can be seen in four chapters. We've talked lots about this over our history. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And they ask some questions about whether these groups firmly and strongly believed in some of these statements. So things like God created humans in his image with desire and potential for goodness, truth, and beauty. 22% of prodigals said that they resonated with this, but 91% of resilient disciples did. Or this statement, I believe that Jesus Christ was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. About 12% of prodigals, 43% of nomads, but 100% of resilient disciples affirm this statement. Now certainly the Bible isn't the only thing in our spiritual development as Jesus followers. But the data does show here the importance of the scriptures and it being an anchor point in our lives to draw out wisdom. Resilient disciples ultimately answer most of these statements that affirm the Bible much higher than the other groups. And it is a thing that contributes to our walk with Jesus as we desire to walk in discernment and in wisdom, but also learning how through the life of Jesus in the early church, how to live this out in our current time. And so wisdom and the scriptures are these things that have come through in this chapter as things that help us really develop our cultural discerning muscles. And, you know, this is really, for me, this hits home because I've done a whole degree uh, in church and culture. I'm passionate about just how the church intersects with culture. And I know one of the things that we all need to grow in, including myself, is discerning. And part of that is asking questions about our moment and where we are, the kind of church we want to be in this moment in time as in reaching people, but also being uh, this learning community and not compromising our beliefs and who we are. So what does all this say? Let me just leave you with a couple things before we close today with what all of this says between Paul going to Athens and some of the research in this chapter. What does it mean for us? Well, one, we need godly wisdom to live culturally discerning. You and I cannot do this on our own. We need godly wisdom. Two, 
God gives us this wisdom through the scriptures. I know for some of us, maybe reading the scriptures is hard, and I get it. We're talking about a chasm, the Old Testament and New Testament, of thousands upon thousands of years, written in different languages, in different cultures and times. I get it. But it's interesting that resilient disciples are the one who faithfully engage the scriptures in their time to learn and to grow in this and to gain wisdom. And God gives us wisdom through the scriptures. This is how he deposits that to us. Three, we need to immerse ourselves in the story of God to live wisely. We need to immerse ourselves in this story, to eat it, to consume it, to let it be at the center of our lives. You know what's interesting is a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of the Jewish community and even the early church didn't have necessarily the scriptures in their hand. It was obviously resources were limited. Not everybody had their own Bible like today. So the scripture was very much passed on orally. The Jewish tradition would be, the the scriptures were literally passed on orally from generation to generation, from father to his children and from their children to their children. These stories of God's work in the world were passed along. And one of the things I've been saying is it's great to learn scripture memory, to go to a, a chapter and verse and, you know, be able to speak it out. But one of the things I hope all of us could think through is just how we pass on the big story of God from generation to generation. Can you tell the story of God? Do you understand even here and what we've read, the chapters from creation to fall to redemption to restoration? Can you speak the story of God? Four, we need to be a learning community. And this is why we are intentional as a church of everything that comes from the front through our worship and teaching. We need to become a learning community. This is why um, for Praxis and the particular community that we get to shape, Um, We're not afraid to go after the hard issues. If you've been with us, we talk about some of the really, some of the things that are really at the center of our cultural moment. And we're not afraid to slow down and take our time. We want to be super intentional in what we lead you guys through as far as themes. We think through this because learning for all of us is such an important part of cultural discernment. My fear is, is that a lot of communities, I don't mean this in a judgment way, but a lot of people will go to church communities and there's basically three things that just are over and over said. Jesus loves you, which is absolutely true. God has a plan for your life, which also is absolutely true. And bring your friends next Sunday, which also is true. We, we encourage all of those things and all of those things are true, but a lot of times that's just where it ends. The culture of church is created around, well, God loves you, yay. Uh, uh, Bring your friends to church next Sunday. God has a plan for your life. And over and over people hear that, but that's even at times left people empty because we have this whole world of the scriptures that lead us to be discerning that is often missed. Five, when coming to the scriptures, we should always ask, what did this mean for the people in their time? And what does this mean for how I live today? When we pick up the scriptures and we look for wisdom, we should be asking, what does this mean in their time? What did it mean in their context? And now what does this mean in how I live today? One of the things we've said here at Praxis is every time we pick up the scriptures, we should always ask, how can I practice this? What does this lead me to as a follower of Jesus in this moment? And so my prayer for our community, ultimately above anything else, is that we would be able to flex these muscles of cultural discernment that we wouldn't retreat or we wouldn't just immerse ourselves and lose our identity, that we would live in the nuance. And let's be honest, it's easier just to retreat and create an enclave. That would be really easy, just to separate ourselves from the world. 
or it would just be really easy just to kind of become cultural Christians and be so immersed by culture that nothing else matters. The difficult road is being nuanced. And yet the most faithful and the most resilient people to follow Jesus in their time learn to live in this nuance. In praxis, my heart, Heather, if she was sitting here with me, our heart is that we would learn how to live in this. Learn to live faithful with our identity firmly intact, but also learn how to follow Jesus in the depths of digital Babylon. And I want to pray for you. I want to invite you in a few seconds here after I'm done praying to wrestle through the questions that we've provided. Maybe you want to do that in your community if you're meeting online and over Zoom or whatever. But I want to pray for our community. This is really, this means, this, this particular principle means a lot to me because this is the kind of church I want to lead. Pray with me. Father, I pray for everybody listening and watching that you would just lead us and guide us, help us, Help us to live faithful to you in a world that's far from you. Help us not to compromise, but God, help us to live in the nuance. I pray that as we engage your scriptures, it would be a light to our path in leading us how to live in this particular moment in time. Even as we've looked at Paul, may we learn how Paul went into the city and what he did in bringing the gospel there. May we be this community that learns how to grow in this. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I love you, honestly. Pray you're having a great summer, and I'm honestly really looking forward to the next number of weeks as we continue to dive into Faith for Exiles. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next week.